The Athletic. Hi there and welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, this is Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic and alongside me today is David. How are you, David? I'm very well, very well. Excellent. And Mike, you're here too? I am. Do you know what? It's amazing what a difference just not losing a football match makes to your mood, doesn't it? We only drew and we only drew by the skin of our teeth, but I've spent the, spent the week since on, on cloud nine. Incredible. More of that, please. It has had a, a, a certainly a, a, a sort of a galvanising effect, I think, on, on everyone. And, and the way that Watford were able to battle back and score late on has really lifted spirits. Obviously, this podcast is uh, dropping on a Thursday morning when we should have been playing Burnley. But it's a difficult one to, to balance out whether going to Burnley and missing out on that again due to a COVID postponement is a positive or a negative when you plonk it in between Newcastle and Norwich. So we will be discussing the sort of how this this week from heaven or hell has has been panning out. Uh, We'll also be talking about transfers because Watford have been busy once again and we will be looking in detail at the proposition of Norwich and, and what potentially might happen after that depending on how things pan out. Um, Just to say thank you once again for everyone that took part in our live podcast last week. Uh, Really enjoyed that and we will be doing plenty more of those uh, before the end of the season. And also just a couple of extra things to point you in the direction of. If you want to subscribe to The Athletic and you haven't done so already, uh, head on to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and you can pick up the latest subscription deal there. I'm also spinning podcast plates as well because I'm hosting the Transfer Daily podcast. So if you want to keep tabs on what's going on specifically in the transfer market and for other clubs, not only Watford, then check in uh, with those. It's like the Watford Transfer Daily at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I popped up today talking about uh, Samuel Kalu, who is the new signing, who we'll touch on a little bit later. Uh, and Dave, from your point of view, you're always busy on, on various podcasts. And just tell us what happened when Burnley cropped up on, on Football Clichés. <laughs> so on, on the, the Football Clichés pod that dropped on Thursday morning, the guest uh, on that on this show, following on from Sir Keir Starmer last week, we uh, we went from the Labour leader to former Love Island star uh, Josh Denzel, who more recently will be known to football fans as being the guy who was hosting the Lions Den in the Euros last summer, talking to all the England players in the camp. On that show, if you haven't heard it, when we have a guest on, we get people to come up with their to, to tell us their three things they love about football, three things they hate about football. And this could be anything, could be as big or as small or as niche as, as people uh, like. And one of Josh's hates was simply Turf Moor. <laughs> uh, he went into great detail and we did try and balance it out and stick up for um, our friends up up in Burnley but he he was unequivocal in his dislike and his and his utter disgust really at ever having to set foot in the place which of course 
for the second time in a, in a month, Watford fans have been robbed of the opportunity to to grace Turf Moor. And as you said, I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, really. Yeah, Mike, from, from your point of view, I want to, obviously from, from my point of view, I was grateful this time that when the game was called off, I wasn't actually in Burnley when it was uh, when it was called off. And it was good to sort of get it relatively far in advance that we knew it wasn't going to be happening. But in terms of the, the sporting side of things, what's your gut feeling on whether this is a good thing not to have had that game in between Newcastle and Norwich? Well, initially, as I mentioned at the, at the top of the show, I've had this renewed bout of enthusiasm with um, Watford not losing games all of a sudden. And I thought, right, let's build on this, on this positive momentum. And, and therefore, I was a little bit disappointed initially that that game has, was called off. It felt like a really quick opportunity to build on a, on a half-decent result. But then it's a sort of in the hours and days since the post-moment, and I've sort of viewed it a little bit more pragmatically, I think really for Watford it's a, it's a decent, decent thing because Norwich is unequivocally now the, the biggest game of the season so far. It's one we absolutely have to win if we're really going to kickstart this survival bid. And that Newcastle game featured our three new signings, all of whom played pretty well by all accounts. I didn't see the whole game, but all of three gave a good good account of themselves. But the the thing that all three of them have got in common is that they haven't played much football up until that game against Newcastle. And for them to play against Newcastle, then again against Burnley on Tuesday, then a couple of days later have to raise themselves to do it against Norwich might have been a big ask. So I think with those guys in mind, giving them an opportunity to embed themselves within the squad learn more from Claudio Ranieri, what he wants from them, learn more about their teammates and work more on training leading up to that massive game on Friday, I think is a, is probably a, a, a benefit for Watford. No, I agree, Mike. I think the fact that they have been given that extra time to sort of bed in, train, prepare for the game on Friday night. And I think in particular, the fact that it is a Friday night game. If you were to have Norwich on a Saturday, you'd think, oh, well, you know, that, that would have given him enough time. But travelling to Burnley on Monday and then travelling back late at night into Wednesday recovery, that would only then give you one day to prepare for that Norwich game, a proper day of preparation. So I agree. I think it is advantageous. Yeah, I think on balance, you're you're, you're sensible and you're correct, actually, in your assumptions there. My only thought was that I think, and this, you know, in turn, this may have affected the Norwich game, but I think we would have beaten Burnley. You know, it would have been a great time to play them because they've just sold Wood, Cornet's away at the African Cup of Nations. They have injuries, you know, putting the COVID situation aside, which obviously meant they were unable to, to get a team together. But if, if they had all the players available that they've got at the moment who weren't injured, I think we probably would have beaten them. Uh, but it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Because I think we, I think we probably would have lost the game originally in December. I, that was some sort of my gut feeling at the time. So if you like, in a way, it's almost like a mythical sort of three match series. They won the first one, we won the second one, and then eventually it will get played, and we'll hopefully both teams will be hoping to be at full fitness when, when we play each other eventually, and it will still be a massive a massive game. I'm I'm sure. In terms of the performances that you mentioned of Edo Kayembe, of Hassan Kamara, and also uh, Samir, I mean, I think I think it's worth just touching upon it. I know you would have done after the uh, the game against Newcastle on the on the last edition of From the Rookery End, but I was really really impressed with how they performed, and also when you compare the amount of money that was spent on those three players. The initial outlay, as I understand it, is as low as £3.2 million on Kayembe, 
and Kamara, and then Samir effectively is a free signing from Udinese. And it, I remember we were talking about it on a on a couple of podcasts back, and I said, look, when we're talking about Udinese to Watford transfers and vice versa, let's not worry too much about the details. But it just that the penny sort of dropped, and maybe it should have done a little bit earlier. But effectively. When these players move from Udinese to Watford, they are often accompanied by a long-term contract. So that is almost the the bonus that comes with staying under the the Pozzo umbrella. Yeah, exactly. And and it is really interesting. I, I sort of got a real sense from Samir's interview that he did with the club that there is a great continuity between the two clubs because you have the narrative when you're in Italy of seeing some players come back and some won't have had good experiences. But on the whole, they will be able to say, well, no, look, you're going to another Pozzo-owned club and they're, you know, they're very good facilities. You'll be looked after, all that sort of stuff. And Samir seemed to come over with a real sort of feeling of, right, this is a great opportunity. I've got a chance to, you know, maybe stake a claim to get into the Brazil side for the World Cup and and things like that. So they, they come over with great motivation. The same thing can be said for Hassan Kamara, who was sort of being not frozen out, but had lost his place at Nice. And I thought he's come across really well and he played very well indeed. And then also Kayembe in particular, I think he was the one that we weren't necessarily sure exactly where he's going to pop up if he's going to be thrown in straight away and I thought he was exceptional and to see them all do it so smoothly was a real real plus I thought. One of the things that I, after Watford get a positive result I like to get the the opposition view and, and the, the the thing dominating Newcastle's fans conversations was when are they going to get their signings in we need a new centre-back seemed to be a big thing they were talking about when are these signings coming in and what are we now we're recording on the 19th um, it'd be out on the 20th, so what we ten ten days or so left of the transfer window. We did ours right at the beginning of the of the transfer window. Newcastle, one of our direct rivals, are still scrabbling around in very very key positions. And you know, had the Burnley game gone ahead, that would have been another game that we'd have had in the in the tank with our new signings. While the op- while our while our rivals are still struggling. Just on that quickly, Mike, for the second consecutive week, I'm seeing Newcastle fans. Our our, um, our Newcastle reporter Chris Woff tweeted today on the 19th about the deadline for signings to play at the weekend is Friday midday or whatever. So for the second consecutive week, they're, they're, you know, they're desperately trying to get someone in at the last second so they could then play on Saturday, which is exactly what happened with Chris Wood. And, you know, that's, Probably not brilliant, is it? You know, every if week week after week, you know, you're trying to def- desperately get someone in the building and then just chucking them in at the deep end the next day. So it kind of shows you the level of, um, well, sort of pa- panic and sort of the frantic nature of their of their business at the moment. Whereas we have gone about it in a much different way, much less heralded way, much cheaper way, as you've just said, Adam. But uh, you know, on the evidence of Saturday's performance, more effective. Comparing us to our relegation rivals is is right, but I think if you also look at, at Norwich and Burnley both struggling to bring new bodies in, if indeed Norwich are looking, or you, you would assume they're looking to to strengthen. But I think it's the, the 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 thrust of my point is credit where credit is due to the Pozzos, to Gino and Scott, whoever's involved in in getting these transfers over the line, because a lot you know we see a lot of people sort of questioning 
whether they whether they're doing it correctly, whether they're putting the requisite amount of hours. You know, there's some, been some funny criticisms of them. When ultimately, what they've done is given Watford the best chance in these run of fixtures to to do well by getting that business done early. So I, th- I think we need to recognise that it's a point worth making. And I think also this this was something that I, I I sort of got embroiled in when I went on the Newcastle podcast before. Uh, the game against Watford. I listened to that. That was good. Thank you very much, Dave. I listened. Rubbish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. That's more like it. Just for a bit of balance. And I basically said that the expectation compared to the reality at Newcastle has always been a little bit incongruous as far as fans that aren't supporters of the club has been. And then that was sort of thrown back at me and said, oh, you know, it's a, it's a tired old um, perception of Newcastle that we we expect far too much. The thing that I wish I had said, and I did follow up on, on social media, on the on the actual podcast, I felt that the way that Newcastle have adapted to this new um, era with Saudi ownership and, you know, Amanda Staveley coming in and trying to put in people here and there in terms of chief executive, director of football, blah, 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 has shown how well organised Watford were when they hit the ground running in that summer of 2012, which is obviously, you know, it's going to be a 10 year anniversary coming up very, very soon. And look, I'm not looking at it with completely rose tinted glasses. I know they sort of basically bust player or flew players over and they ended up with a training pitch with about 50 players on. I know it wasn't, it was organized chaos, but it does show you that if you're going to take over a club, you have to hit the ground running. And especially if you are in the the deepest depths of a relegation struggle, you can't waste time. And sitting behind our good old friends Jason Tyndall and Eddie Howe in the um, in the Newcastle dugout was actually quite enjoyable, I must say, because they were squirming around and then they got all uppity because you know they were they were ahead and they thought, right, yeah, we're going to get our win, we're going to get our win. And then to see their faces when that goal yeah. went in was absolutely priceless. I absolutely Hang it in the love Louvre. that. Hang it in the Louvre. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing moment and I had a strange experience watching it. Well, probably actually quite similar to most people um, watching it, to be honest, because of the time the game was on. So I was watching it on a stream like a lot of fans would do at that time. Um, but also had Soccer Saturday on the TV as well, uh, which obviously was like a few minutes ahead. So then Paul Merson was on our was on our game, and every time it cut to Merson, he you know he's one of the worst. He'd be going, "Oh, go, oh, oh, Jeff, oh," in the background. And I was just it was excruciating. And then and then he had a go. He had a, what are they taking Emmanuel Dennis off for? They're taking their top scorer off, Jeff. I don't know what's going on. And then Cucho comes on, and then the next time we go to him, it's a goal for João Pedro it's a brilliant header like it was an amazing moment it, it really was one of those results it felt like three points even though it was a point it, it, it one of the rare occasions highlighted really how little we've been able to do this season in terms of getting points when uh, we would otherwise have lost you know we haven't we haven't turned many defeats into into points it's either been boom or bust and that was a huge huge point and it was really interesting to see Eddie Howe talk after the match and be so downbeat and say we damaged ourselves and you know it feels like although the points difference is you know obviously still the same and it's far from over yeah you know there's a lot of games to be played and we are still in deep trouble it felt psychologically like that was a huge blow for them and a big boost for us. Just to wrap up on that as well and I I was watching a far work commitments meant I was actually at another game I was at Wickham Wanderers seeing them go top of the league. So I was following on the BBC text 
And what struck me was it's a much more scientific, neutral approach to reporting, obviously. And as the game wore on, the, whoever was doing the BBC text, I know they were quoting Neil Lennon quite a bit on there and his, his comments on the game. I think it was the main commentary game on Five Live. So there was a lot of input from the various summarisers. And as the game wore on, they were actually very, very complimentary about Watford, specifically about um, attacking forward. I think Neil Lennon de- described our attacking players as very slick, um, they said Watford deserved the goal um, and before it was coming to say they really do deserve something out of this. And I think when we're watching as a, as a supporter, as invested as we are, sometimes it's very difficult to, to look at it with that impartiality. Well, it's impossible to look at it from an impartial point of view. That's our point of being a football fan. But it was interesting to see their very analytical take on the game because I know if I'd have been watching, I'd have been going, oh, this is hopeless, we're never going to score. You know, we're playing Newcastle, it's rubbish, we can't beat them, we can't beat anyone. Whereas actually, following it from afar, the, the take on Watford was a lot more positive than perhaps it will have been um, watching it you know, at close quarters when you're so invested. So coming away from that game, taking, a, taking that sort of neutral take combined with the, the fight to, to stay in the game and to earn a point, with what, which was an incredible header from Jao Pedro. I know they talked about it in the podcast that weekend. Brilliant goal to get a, a really important and well-deserved point. So I think that loads and loads of reasons to, to be positive and kick on after that game. And just on the new signings, one of the, one of the things I thought was, was most striking about watching it was that, and I don't know whether this was intentional from the Watford hierarchy or it's just sort of the way it's panned out, but you know, you've got the left, you've got Kamara at left back, You've got Samir on the left side of the centre-back pairing. And you had Kian Bay at the base of the midfield, but obviously he can go left and right and kind of, you know, just go over wherever he needs to be. Quite a lot of the time, they those three players, not that they know each other, but they were together in the same part of the pitch. And it was like we all bolstered a whole sort of area of our defence, you know, which has been a problem. Left-back has been a problem for us for, for many occasions this season. Centre-back has been an issue. We haven't had a left-footed centre-back playing much this season. So it was nice that that whole sort of area was bolstered. They seemed to have cohesion and togetherness and they all made an impact. They all just looked assured. And, you know, as you said, Kiembe was really... So perhaps the, the most surprising of the three looked good going forward as well as very busy defensively. Kamara looked like he's got an engine, can get up and down. But the best thing for me was I didn't really notice Samir because we've been noticing our centre-backs this season in every single game for the wrong reasons. They've been sticking out because of their mistakes or their bad passes or whatever it is. I didn't really notice him, which to me says that he just got on with it and was solid, which is exactly what we want. There were a few bumps in the road in in the first half, emanating from from the sort of the right hand side, and a few misplaced passes. And Cathcart sort of had a few shaky moments, but it was great that they got through those moments. And you know, ultimately, and I I, I made a sort of quite a significant play on the fact that it was it was a, it was a gift of a goal for Newcastle. Really, I know mm, Alan Saint Maxima had to do some hard work, but. The, the defenders were, were really on the back foot at that point and it was yes it was a good finish but aside from that Jeremy, Jeremy Ngakia mistake which is just a misjudgment and as Claudio Ranieri said look he's a young player I still back him he aside from that he was perfect and I really felt for him because he was he was all, just sort of you could see the frustration coursing through his veins and he was jumping up in the air when when the goal went in um, obviously in disappointment but you know that needs to be remembered that yes there's been a, a lot of criticism of of the defense but in the last two games against Tottenham 
against Newcastle, it's been very, very fine margins. So there is there is slight improvements and those reinforcements hopefully will stand them in better stead for the remainder of the season. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. So we've talked quite a lot about three transfers that have been secured by Watford so far. And a fourth is now in the offing, and that is Samuel Kalou. And another Nigerian is joining the uh, the happy Watford party, which is fantastic to see the the reaction of some of the Nigerian followers on social media that were up in arms over the uh, the treatment of Emmanuel Dennis. But all joking aside, I'm digging in currently as we record this podcast into his career, um, learning more about him and with a view of, of putting a, a piece out very, very shortly indeed. So I've got to go, gents. We're going to leave it now. And uh, I'll say goodbye. No, no, no. I've got, to get, I've got to get this article finished, and it will be out on The Athletic very soon. There are so many similarities with the Emmanuel Dennis situation uh, with this Samuel Kalou signing. You know, the, the, the risk-reward dice are being rolled once again by the by the hierarchy at Watford. But I think now, when you look at it, it is a bit risky, I understand that the the transfer as a whole is quite a sort of a a nominal amount in terms of outlay for the club. I think it may only be an initial fee of £500,000 and then with that and add-ons being added, rising to around about two and a half, three million pounds. So it's a similar amount to to Emmanuel Dennis. But they're signing Kalu with the experience and the pathway of Emmanuel Dennis and a case study almost right there in front of them. And I think that will give great confidence to everyone that, okay, yeah, there might have been a a few bumps in the road for him. Um, There have been health scares as well, which which are explained in the article as well. Um, But there's clearly a player there, another rough diamond, it appears, but with a bit of focus, getting Claudio Ranieri sort of on top of him, telling him exactly what he wants to do. You know, there's an opportunity to sort of see lightning strike twice, which would be fantastic in the in the attacking uh, proposition that Watford will have. Do you think this sign, there's a possibility that this signing is coming in with a slight question mark or slight concern about the timescale over the return of um, Ismail Assar? I mean, he he is right-footed predominantly, isn't he? If I'm if I'm correct, I think I think he plays man, has played mainly on the left, but that's probably because he want to cut in. But yeah, arguably an area that we didn't need. It was probably the one area of the pits that we're probably most confident in, isn't it? So, I guess if the if the fee you're discussing, sort of initial five hundred thousand in Premier League terms, that is that really is nominal, isn't it? So it could just be that it became available and they they chose to roll the dice, you know, while Ismail Assar's away for the hopefully short term. Or is there a sort of nagging doubt that we're not going to see our Senegalese star for a, for a little bit longer than we we might hope? I think that that one's still unclear. I think there's great determination from Ishmael Assar's point of view to get fit so he can maybe play in the remainder of the Africa Cup of Nations. But as I understand it, I, I don't think that there is huge concern that this is Ishmael Assar being out for you know another month or, or, or two. Um, there were some video clips of him on social media quite soon after the, he arrived in Spain, you know, doing running up and down and, and jogging with sort of elastic band pressure things and all that sort of stuff. You can tell I'm a, a trained physiotherapist, <laughs> elastic bands. So I, I wouldn't imagine that, that that they are fearing that he's going to be out for, for a long, long period of time. Um, but I think that, that this one is probably more aligned with are Watford getting the 
the most out of that attacking three without Ishmael Assar when they are having to play, maybe play Ken Semmer out there if they if they choose to do that, or with Kucha Hernandez. I, I think it's 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 maybe taking an opportunity and thinking, look, it, it it's not going to cost us a lot. It might offer us something. It might offer us something slightly different. Someone that's going to come in and make an impact. Which, if you remember, when they signed Quadro Bar from Rochdale, and you know that was a very sort of low amount of of money that they were spending. But it's a sort of a similar similar signing that you go, well, you know, if we throw him in and he has an impact, then it might be it might sort of be the difference between picking up one point or three points. And obviously, he then picked up picked up an injury so they can add um Samuel Kalu to the to the offering that Watford have this season and then come the summer if Emmanuel Dennis is potentially going to leave or if you know Ishmael Assar is going to leave or if Joshua King's going to leave or whoever then they've got someone else that can will have had an opportunity to show what they're worth and then maybe they can take us forward we, we don't quite know yet because we don't know where Watford are going to end up next season yeah, it, it feels to me, Ad, that like it may be, I, I don't know if this is correct, this is just my feeling, that maybe we've kind of got those three that we got in early doors were like the priority positions and this one is sort of a, a nice to have. Maybe the opportunity has come up, the deal makes sense for for Bordeaux and for us and it's like, right, we'll just pull the trigger and get it done and if it helps us, great. If it doesn't, you know, we haven't lost that much money and maybe it can, you know, maybe it's one for down the line or whatever as well, next season or whatever. But just looking at, in terms of what sort of play he is uh, Lou Orns on Twitter has posted uh, a number of sort of stats and charts today, sort of profiling how he compared to some of the similar positioned players in in League Earn last season. So looking at his heat map, looks like he does play mainly had had played for Bordeaux mainly on the left wing, but also a little bit through the middle as well. But mainly on the left wing, so maybe that is cutting you know, cutting inside onto his right foot. Fourteen starts last season, nine hundred and sixty-four minutes, four goals, one assist. Not amazing, but you know, still shows potential there that he does know where the goal is. Looking at his the way he plays, looks like he dribbles a lot. Looks like he was one of the most had one of the most dribbles per ninety uh, metrics in the entire league last season. Lots of progressive runs, lots of shots per ninety, right up there with non penalty goals per ninety. But maybe his key passes, maybe his crossing, maybe some of his end product. Just just purely looking at numbers on a spreadsheet here or whatever. Maybe that is an area he needs to work on. Obviously, only had 14 starts, so it's a small sample size. But he looks like, you know, just basing it off the stuff Lou Orns has pulled together, it looks like a player who wants to be direct, get forward, shoot, cross, dribble, which could be fun. Yeah, and in total, he's played 186 games so far in his career in three different countries, in Slovakia, Belgium and France. He scored 27 goals and uh, he supplied 32 assists, which basically gives him a, a goal or an assist every three games. So it hasn't necessarily gone to plan uh, in Bordeaux for him. And I spoke to uh, a journalist who covers Bordeaux very, very closely, and, and he features in the, the latest piece for The Athletic. I've also spoken to um, some of the guys out of the AFCON at the moment with Nigeria just to get their take on what he's like as a player um, as well. So I think that from the point of view of of what he can bring to Watford, it's it's an interesting one because as as sort of digging into the the statistics, he has been played more on the left hand side with Bordeaux, but actually he's had the greatest success in his career playing on the right hand side. 
um, especially when he was at uh, Ghent in uh, in Belgium, and then previously when he was playing in Slovakia for AS Trentsin, I think that they're called, when he won the championship, when he just literally come over um, from Nigeria. So yeah, it might be one that yeah we can we can utilize him, try him out on both flanks, and it fits into Watford's proposition at the moment. You know, let's not forget Joao Pedro as well, who who is sort of trying he's basically making himself undroppable at the moment especially with that header so you look at that first choice front three with Joao Pedro Joshua King and and Emmanuel Dennis you then add Kalu as a as a maybe a first change on the on the left hand side or maybe on the right hand side we don't know you've then got Kucho as well who didn't do himself any harm at, at Newcastle and then you've also got Ismail Assar to come back so it's it's bringing it's sort of strengthening a, it's it's the thing that that people always say to do you know if if you're doing things well strengthen in that position and you know keep the competition intense don't let anyone uh, rest on their laurels and and keep that momentum going so hopefully he can have an he can have an impact there and there have been question marks especially the guy that I spoke to in in Bordeaux about his temperament, about not getting on with with head coaches and managers, there was a there was a health issue, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. You know, he did collapse in a game against Marseille at the tail end of last year, but thankfully, as as Bordeaux released at the time, uh, there wasn't any serious issues. And then back in 2019, he'd actually um, collapsed in training when he was with Nigeria, and that, as I understand it from sources in Nigeria, was related to dehydration rather than any other issue but that will all be checked out in the medical and obviously you know we, we will see what we'll see what happens but in terms of his footballing ability he he seems as if he will if if he can get his head back on and and you know if he's in a better place and it's all a fresh start he will actually be able to bring something to the to the Watford party which is which is really exciting and i think you're absolutely right dave this was almost like this is an opportunity to take now to go for now because he wasn't top priority, but they have been tracking him for a couple of couple of years. They were looking at him quite strongly towards the end of the 1920 season when we were relegated. But then obviously once Watford had gone down, it wasn't a proposition that they could follow up on because he was because Watford were in the championship. And then when they came up, Emmanuel Dennis was taken quite early in the transfer window and he was seen as a higher priority. So, you know, they've got round to it eventually and he is a, a Emoji Bayat controlled player as well. So uh, Mr. Bayat has uh, has got his fingers on this one. So we know how close he is to Gino Pozzo. And yeah, you won't be surprised that this is a, a Bayat signing. I think it's a, it's a no-risk signing. I think in terms of attitude, he's got something to prove. We've talked about Kiembe, Kamara and Samir and how they've obviously been delighted to be in the Premier League. He's probably got something to... He's, he'll be happy to be in the Premier League. He'll, he'll view this as a massive opportunity. I think working under Claudio Ranieri, he'll view as a, an opportunity. And he'll know that to get into that front three and to, to start making an impact, he's going to have to work hard. So I think it's... It's it's a low risk signing for Watford, so quite exciting in a lot of ways. Just on another attacking potential attacking option, Ad. I'm not sure how much light you'll be able to shed on this, but we've been talking a little bit about Yasser Espria, signed from Colombia, became a Watford player in January, and there's been slightly conflicting information about his work permit um, suitability, whether he can we can get enough points, and therefore maybe a a viable option for Watford this season what's the what's the latest on him ad 
Now, it's a really good question because you'll remember, I think it's probably around a month ago um, when I put out a mailbag article, uh, the intention at that stage was that he was going to go to Udinese. And then subsequently, over the last week, he has actually made his debut in an international friendly uh, for Colombia. That then helps in terms of the points that you need to get to qualify for a work permit and things like that. And as I understand it currently, they are working towards getting him to Watford. So that would be, you know, a, a another another option potentially. I'm not sure whether that is necessarily going to happen. It might be that they revert back to what they were intending to do before. And also, I'm not sure what they plan to do with him if he does arrive here. You'll remember when Joao Pedro arrived at a very, very similar time and a similar age. Um, they threw him in against Tranmere, which, <laughs> what, what, a, what a treat for him to, to play in those two games. And then, you know, he was sort of bumping around here and there with the under-23s and stuff like that. Maybe, you know, we, we talked about um, Emmanuel Dennis being a really good case study for the Samuel Kalou signing, bringing in Yasser Aspria, having gone through a similar situation with Joao Pedro, you know, in a, in a Premier League team, they might have a clearer idea of exactly what they want to do. So we will see. We will see what they actually end up doing. But yes, it has slightly changed course. And, you know, what, what you're seeing on social media and things like that, I understand that is what's happening behind the scenes. I'm going to refrain from getting too excited or pinning too much hope on young Yasser Espria, despite the fact that he obviously shares the surname with the legendary Fastino Espria. I'm sure there's absolutely no relation. Um, because we've been here before, haven't we? We've had Ad Adalberto Peñaranda, who did seemingly great things for the Venezuela under 23s in the under 19s or whatever it was in that World Cup where they played England. You know, we've had Luis Suarez, who we saw what a, a, a bit of a game against Tottenham. Did he play in that game against Tottenham at the um, in the preseason friendly? And then, you know, we never saw him ever again and went off back off to Spain. Uh, you know, Zal Pedro has come through. He, he's the one that's really, you know, come to fruition. Cucho has, has been here, so it can work. But it's really, really easy for us to build up these these kids just because they're from South America and we see a few flashy highlight reels and they do some stuff in under 20 matches or whatever and think they're going to be the next big thing. So hopefully he does come and he's great and he has a great career and we make loads of money, but let's wait and see. Oh, you big miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boo. <laughs> just one last one on, on transfers, Ed, because I, I, I do see this popping up a little bit and now we're definitely into the realms of, of getting greedy. It looks like we've got four definitely in. We've got Yasser Espria, maybe, maybe going to feature... One question I've seen asked is, is there any chance of another centre-back? Because I think at one stage it was Vida, the, the experienced Croatian, that looked like he was on the, on the horizon. That obviously, that went quiet. So on, the, on, on behalf of those Watford fans who would like to see the, the defence strengthened a little bit more, any inkling as to whether uh, Kalu will be the last or have they got irons in other particularly defensive fires? Well, I think as as we alluded to before, you know, that those three initial signings were the priorities ahead of this big week. And then you can get to, uh, you know, the end of it and go, right, OK, well, yeah, maybe, maybe we've come through that. That's really good. Maybe we do bring in another one. I think they're very open minded uh, about it. I don't think that, you know, having penciled in potentially bringing in two centre backs 
prior to the January transfer window that they are going to simply go, oh, well, we've done okay against Newcastle and Norwich. That means that we don't need to do anything. But at the same time, you have to then balance it out with what impact is Claudio Ranieri having? What impact does maybe, potentially, you know, we'll get on to Norwich in a minute, what impact does a couple of good results have on the confidence of that back line? You've got to think about the numbers too, right? Exactly, the num- exactly. That's what it's going to come to. The numbers are hugely important because now they're currently on 28 players. If you take out um, Danny Rose, who is all but certain to leave or will certainly be left out of the, the 25, unless there is a huge turnaround, I don't think there's any need to really, then you have to get rid of two more players. The Kalu signing may well sideline um, Ken Semmer, and that might see him go back to Udinese potentially. And then the next one you would expect, because he's not been playing much football at all, would be Dan Gosling. That would then take you back down to, to 25. So you also then need to go, right, well, we're going to get potentially through the transfer window and we're going to have players away. So, you know, William Trustekong, for example, who when I was speaking to the guys in Nigeria said, you know, he's he's absolutely, absolutely loving it. He's been playing well for Nigeria and, and things like that. So that's great for his confidence and great to, for him to come back with a spring in his step, hopefully. But you can't sell a player who is who is away or you can't move someone on who's who's away really i i wouldn't expect a huge amount of change but just yeah i i think that they've brought in one they also need to work out exactly what's going to be happening with with nicholas and kulu as well so if he drops out of the squad that would be an extra place that they could fill um but they also have contracts with players as well that you can't necessarily you can't just sort of rip up contracts and throw them away without some serious negotiations going on so i would imagine that the final 10 days of the transfer window is going to be very much you know as it always is with watford balancing things out and just trying to sort of sort everything out but the the great advantage is that they're not trying to sort out priority positions in the last 10 days they're sorting out um how to tailor that squad as best as they can for the remainder of the season. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the rookery end. Right, we'll get our views on the game against Norwich very, very shortly indeed. But let's hear from someone who is uh, maybe got a little bit more of a spring in his step himself after Norwich finally won a game. And that is the Athletics Norwich correspondent, Michael Bailey, just with a take on life at Norwich at the moment. Lovely to be back on again. Um, I would say Norwich are almost certainly as desperate for the points as Watford. Maybe more so, given they've had um, such a difficult season to date and they are probably still playing more catch-up than anyone else, regardless of the of the win against Everton. And for that point, I think, and the fact that they've played 
more games than everyone else, I would still want Norwich to go and beat you. <laughs> I have to be honest. That's just because Norwich has struggled for goals and struggled for so many points. But I think the squad and the team and everyone in the club, they genuinely believe that they've still got it in them to survive and they're really hopeful that they will do it. I think they're just trying to get the supporters on board as well. But the victory at Carrow Road certainly helps. And, you know, the squad is in a better place because they're all, there are more players available now. It will probably be the same kind of lineup. Uh, against Watford as against Everton and then once they get the other side of the mini winter break there will hopefully be a few more players back available from injury and what have you. I think under Dean Smith there's much more aggression going forward. I think they are starting to play a bit more directly. They've been playing a 4-4-2 which I think means they're trying to have far more bodies up in attack whilst not actually giving away too much at the other end in terms of their uh, defensive protection. It was a balance Daniel Farker always struggled with and ultimately Norwich were probably too patient and passive at times, which is certainly what Watford took, a, took advantage of in the second half at Carrow Road, which for the record is the most angry I've been in about a decade. So they do have, they have rec- reconciled that. Norwich's worst moments have been when they've been missing loads of players when they have a reasonably strong team, they have looked pretty cohesive. They have created chances. They've just maybe not been able to take them. So I would expect there to be a directness about them. The midfield is less important. Um, but Norwich have also got to kind of protect themselves from Watford's midfield because Watford, you guys, were, were able to sort of plough through them a bit too easily in that second half at Carrow Road. Um, but there is an improvement and they do look more cohesive under Dean Smith. And there is a bit of optimism it comes down to the fact that against Watford, you know, this is a huge game to really generate a proper amount of belief. Um, how how to beat Norwich? I mean, they, they do have two key weaknesses, which is they do concede a lot of goals. They do tend to give you a chance and they also don't really take their own chances. It still took a lot, lot of effort to score two goals against uh, Everton. So I think if you're patient and you wait for your opportunity against Norwich, you will generally get it. The midfield has been... Uh, short of physicality and pace and strength at times and I feel like that's a strength Watford have got as well so if you commit bodies forward and get um, through the midfield then you can start causing Norwich some real issues but uh, promises to be a fascinating fascinating game on Friday and uh, let's be honest Norwich are Watford one don't they so bring it on well Thank you very much to Michael Bailey for being on the show, but I can't wish him any luck whatsoever <laughs> for the game at Vicarage Road. And He's look, right, I... though. He is right, isn't he? We've beaten him five times in a row, is it? Yes. Those runs don't go on forever. No, it's true. But if you look at it, you know, this is, this is as he said there, it's as important for, for Norwich as it is for Watford, but Watford will know that as well. And they can go into it with, with great confidence. And as Mike said earlier, you have to beat Norwich. You have to beat them. And if you do, you then open up a four-point gap. They will have still, you know, played two more games than than Watford. And, and you would expect them, yes, they've had their sort of, their bump up. They've floated up to the top um, of that relegation zone above Newcastle and above Burnley. But I think that would probably then just put them back, back into, you know, dead-on favourites to to be relegated. And Watford can then start to reach up towards the lowest hanging fruit, which is Everton. And let's not read too much into beating Everton, as Norwich have just done. We humped them 5-2 at Goodison Park. And then, you know, that that didn't then necessarily lead on to a huge, massive, massive, great run. So, you know, I think that Watford can can have 
a, a lot of confidence going into it. And I quite like the sound of, of playing up against a, a 4-4-2 because I, I feel that our midfield, especially with Sissoko, uh, with Kayembe, and I would have thought Kutska will go, go in again. I quite like that muscle against their midfield. And I also, I'm not that keen on their defensive line anyway. I think that they, much like Watford, uh, should have upgraded far sooner. And... As I understand it as well, Tim Krull has got a little bit of an injury worry hanging over him because he went off with a shoulder injury towards the end of the game against Everton. And that has a big impact as well on their um, on the authority that they have, if they do have any, at the back. If we're going to stay in the Premier League, we can't be focusing on anything other than, than a win here. And it's it's all lined up for us to do it. You know, they, they are struggling defensively. They don't take many chances. That'll be a real test of uh, of how bad they are again when they're coming up against us, of course, because we're pretty good at, um, at gifting goals. But this is, this is just set up for, for Watford. And it's really is time to put the big boy trousers on this one. We've got the strikers. We've got the forward line to take the game to Norwich and, and to, to continue their woes, quite frankly. I take your point fully, Dave, about us being um, having such a good run and you, the automatic assumption as a Watford supporter is, is going to come come to an end at the most inopportune moment. So I do get that. But if you look at it, going back to earlier, to being more impartial about it, you know, it's nice to hear Michael sounding a little bit more upbeat because if you follow him on Twitter, you'll see he does videos after after the Norwich videos, after the Norwich games, which have invariably been defeats. And just to see him sort of just look so browbeaten after every game, as I've really felt for him. So nice for him to get the win last week. Disappointed for him that they're going to get thumped on, on Friday. What I would say is that I think... All that being said, there is a little bit of pressure on Watford because they're at home. Norwich might be able to play on the, on the counter a little bit because they'll know that Watford will have it is as important for us as it is for them. Slightly more pressure on us. I think the crowd can play a massive, massive, massive part in this. It's been a little while since there's been a game at, at, at Vicarage Road. It's a Friday night. It's, it's Vicarage Road under lights. It's massive. It's massive, massive, massive. And let's get behind them. It, it is massive. You're absolutely right. And you are interesting that you point out the role that the crowd could play on Friday night against Norwich at Vicarage Road, because after we had to cancel the first attempt at doing this um, due to COVID and all that against West Ham, I am going to be taking my mum to her first ever game Get in. Uh, at Vicarage Road. On Friday night, I thought I'd, you know, I thought Norwich has given her the best chance of seeing a win, surely for 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 her first game. So she'll be there, loud, hopefully joining in with all the chants. We're sitting um, sort of towards the uh, towards the edge of the rookery, the rookery end, or close to the Elton John stand. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to it from that point of view. But it is a huge game, and Norwich's win last last week, sort of out of out of nowhere, really against a, a bit of a hapless Everton side really brings them right back into it. I mean, they've been so bad for so long, but it just sort of highlights how we've failed to really pull away, that they're, they're only one point behind us. Yes, we've got two games in hand and all that, and there's lots of kind of variables down there, but they'll be going into this one thinking, right, we've just, we just beat Everton. This is a massive opportunity for them to get out of the bottom three. And equally, for us, it's an opportunity to really put a gap and really hammer a nail into the coffin of one of our rivals. And just looking at the potential sort of permutations of this weekend, it could be quite 
quite pivotal really because we've obviously got Norwich at home so let's say optimistically we win that match which would put us on 17 points which would put us four points ahead of Norwich Newcastle and Burnley are both away this weekend providing their games go ahead Newcastle were away to Leeds who looked very good last week against West Ham will be confident and you know you would think may have a good chance of of beating Newcastle and Burnley are away to Arsenal who themselves have looked a different side in recent months and you'd be very, very surprised if this Burnley side were to go to the Emirates and beat Arsenal, let alone get a get a point or anything. So really, we could be clear of the bottom three this weekend if results go our way. And then Everton, for, for them as well, they're, they're playing Aston Villa. Now, they've also got Duncan Ferguson in who has kind of steadied the ship on a number of occasions in the past few years when he's been called upon. So maybe they'll get something. But Aston Villa have looked pretty good lately. Steven Gerrard's really got them playing well. If Aston Villa beat Everton, all of a sudden we're two points behind Everton and we're really dragging them into it with the backdrop of chaos that is going on at Goodison Park. If you'd listened to it, uh, our main pod this week with Chappers and Ornstein and Crafton and all those guys, just painting a picture of the absolute shambles behind the scenes at Everton at the moment. Really, they need to get their act together because they could be pulled into this. So if all of those things, and it's a big if, go our way, we could be looking quite nice, you know, come, come Sunday or Monday when all the games are finished. But equally, if it goes the other way, we could be, you know, right, right down there again. We've got to do our job. That's it. That is that. It really is it. You're right to talk about the other teams and what's going on there. Watford have to turn up on Friday night. The supporters have to turn up on Friday night. I know they will need to be loud, need to be vocal, need to treat this game as what it is, which is effectively a a cup game. It's going to keep our season keep our season going. And you know when Vicarage Road is bouncing, it is it is a force to be reckoned with. It doesn't happen as often as I'd like personally, and I, I get why the performances have been have been lacklustre. But you know all bets are off for this one. This is just it's the the most important game of the season, bar none so far. And uh, I think we need to be up for this one. But that goes for the players as well. Do your job, lads. And it's uh, like I say, Dave. It's onwards and upwards. Simple as that. Watford, I yeah. hope you're listening. Mike, thank you very much indeed for your rousing words. Oh, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Let's hope I'm smiling come Saturday morning. And Dave, enjoy your trip with your mother. Will do. We'll try and get her on the pod. Oh, yeah. definitely. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. Yeah, listen in to the, the next edition. Fingers crossed it will be talking about a pivotal victory for Watford. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Remember, if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com forward slash Rookery End and you can pick up the latest deal there. We'll be back after the game against Norwich and I'll be back next week. Take care, everyone. The Athletic.